Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. What kind of feelings come to you uh, when I say the word family? Depending on what your experience in life has been, you know, what you experienced growing up, you might think family, oh, that's good, that's restful, that's encouraging, that's warm. Or you might think, ah, there's a lot of static, right? Emotional static here connected to the idea of family because of what I experienced in life. But whether we have positive feelings about it or or negative feelings about it, the reality is, is that Family is extremely important. Um, we all come from different backgrounds. Some of you here today, you, you may have a, a family. Every, you know, there's a husband and wife and kids at home. Uh, you may have no children at home anymore, maybe never even had children. You may be in a situation where you're a single parent and you have kids at home. Or maybe you're the only person living in your household, but you probably still have family at some level. It's really, really important that we get family right. When I think about family, my experience with it, thinking about my uh, marriage and my children, I have six grown children, 13 grandchildren, um, a lot of, overall family for me is a really good feel. A lot of good things about it. But as I I thought about my family in light of what God says in his word in this sermon series that we're going to be in now, I thought of my family and thought that in one sense, my family is where I find my greatest joy in life, you know, where I really experience that joy. And yet at the same time, as I look at it, look back on it and still look at it now, some of the hardest things I've ever dealt with or even still have to deal with are related to my family. Uh, my greatest successes in life, I would say, are connected to my family, but also some of my greatest failures. When I think back and, you know, what I succeeded at with my kids and my marriage and what I didn't succeed at, what I failed at. Uh, family is, is really a source of great satisfaction, but at the same time, it's where I feel some of my greatest regrets. When I think about things that I did that I wish I hadn't done, or think about things I didn't do that I wish I had done, or you know, how I wish I'd done something differently. And so family has its share of problems, even when it's good. And, and you know why that is? It's because we tend to be dysfunctional people. We tend to be dysfunctional people. And we end up with Dysfunctional people producing what? Dysfunctional families. Okay, it's just the way it goes, goes with the territory. Well, what do we mean when we talk about dysfunctional families? Well, the idea of something being functional or functioning, we're talking about it's something that has a specific purpose and it's working well and accomplishing that purpose. It's functioning, it's functional. Uh, And so when we put the prefix dis in front, we're saying, no, it's not. 
It's not working the way it's supposed to. So a dysfunctional family is not working in a way that matches its purpose. It could even be sometimes that a person is thinking that their family is working quite well, but if it's not aligning up with its proper purpose, it is actually dysfunctional. And and there are a lot of dysfunctional families. And I think that even some of us here today might include ourselves in that mix. Well, where does this dysfunction come from? Well, if we go back into the book of Genesis, we see in Genesis chapter one that God creates human beings and and man and woman and gives them a specific responsibility to oversee creation and and to manage it for God and to bring his image to bear upon all of creation. And we see how he specifically brought man and woman together in marriage and, and made them one. And then we get into Genesis chapter three and we see that these first humans chose to disobey God to sin and sin enters the world and all the corruption and problems that go along with it. And we see that what happened was not only was a wedge driven between people and God because of sin that that God was gonna have to bridge through Jesus Christ one day, a wedge was put between man and God, but it also drove a wedge between individuals, between people. Specifically at that time, Adam and Eve, and every marriage since. Sin has a wedge that pushes down in between that couple. In Genesis chapter three, God told us, here's the kind of problems you're gonna have in marriage now because of sin. Things that you're going to have to look to me and trust me and work with me to overcome those things. And so that first couple, because of sin, became dysfunctional in their marriage. It wasn't operating the way God intended for it to anymore. And Genesis chapter four, we see that these parents passed on this dysfunction to their children. The first two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain gets jealous of Abel and eventually kills Abel. And and so this this sinful dysfunction was passed on. And here we are 6,000 years later of human history still dealing with the dysfunctions. And dysfunctional people make up dysfunctional families. Now, I want you to think with me just a little bit about the condition of the family in America today, in our, in our nation. Let me share some statistics with you. 46% of children now live with married birth parents. In other words, there are two parents married who gave birth to them. Only 46%, that's less than half. This was like, up, 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 I think in the low 80s percent, you know, 50, 60 years ago. So it's a huge shift in our nation, away from what we would consider a very traditional stable family, 46%. 15% live with remarried parents, or with one of the parents, but the parent is remarried, and sometimes that brings children from other families too. We end up with blended families. Seven a percent live with cohabiting parents, parents who are not married, uh, but they have the children in the home. Uh, 26% live with a single parent. And there's a high likelihood that a number of you in here at some point in your life grew up with a single parent. And 5% live with a non-parent guardian. Do you understand what this does to the stability of homes for children? All right, and it gets worse than this. 40% of children are now born to unmarried mothers. 40%. 
And, and the idea of the unmarried mother, it's not that she doesn't love her child and, and that there can't be some good things there, but, but that is brought into a situation that almost always has a huge amount of instability connected to that. All right? And, and 31% of children under age six have experienced a major change in their family or household structure due to parental divorce, separation, marriage, cohabitation, or death. And when you are under six years old and all of a sudden your whole life changes and that structure which you felt secure and safe in all of a sudden is changed on you, what does it do to a child? What it does is it puts a child in a place where insecurity becomes an issue and the ripples from that insecurity are gonna go on down through that child's life into adulthood. Now, doesn't mean the child can't grow, doesn't mean the child can't learn and grow in adulthood and do things, but they will have to deal with it, the insecurities. Because the family is, families are, are in many ways dysfunctional. And, and the reality is, is that probably all of us our families are dysfunctional at some point, aren't working the way God intends for them to be. Could be in big ways, couldn't be in little ways, but either way it matters and affects things. Now, when you see the family so, slowly but surely becoming devastated in our culture, let me tell you what, it does not surprise me when I look at our culture and I see that there's a lot of confusion about authority and how do I respond properly to authority? Who has the right to say what in my life? Okay, there's confusion about that because when a child comes into the world, it is in that family household that that child develops a big picture perspective about all of life based on what they're experiencing in this little place. And so when that family isn't about what it's supposed to be about and it isn't working right, it affects how that child sees the world. And once again, let's just say that God in his grace works in people's lives. We're not saying anybody is condemned, you know, to be, but the reality is there are problems, okay? I'm not confused either that there's a lot of confusion about morality, what's right, what's acceptable, what isn't. Who gets to say what's right and wrong? I'm not surprised that there's so much confusion in the area of sexuality, sexual attraction, sexual identity, all of these things, because the family is messed up. And when the family gets messed up, a lot of things get messed up. And what we find in our society, and it's probably always been true, but it really very much I see in our society, that's that there are many different people and organizations that have an agenda for your family. And not all of them are good. There are active forces in our culture that, do, that want to see this family continue to break down and, and not that there be no standard. Because if the family can be anything, then we can justify just about anything, right? And so there are many, many competing agendas for our families. And, and we need to figure out what to do with that. I want you to think about this. Um, the government has an agenda for your family. 
right? They want you, you guys to, to be productive, make some money, pay taxes so they can keep doing what they're doing and you know, stay within the lines here, the, the boundaries, and you'd be nice people. Uh, it, it's kind of funny, my dad said when he went in the Marine Corps, he, I think he, he was in the Marines, but he got married and then they, were, they shipped him off to Japan for 15 months. With, and, and me and my little brother, we were real small and, and that was a hard thing. But they told my dad, hey, if you needed a wife, the Marines would have issued you one, okay? So they had an agenda for him and his family. The schools have an agenda for your children. Uh, they have an agenda uh, which they determine things that need to be taught to these children. And it doesn't just include academics, it also includes social values, which may or may not line up with what you believe is right. Uh, and they want you to come along and help them as parents. They're not helping you anymore, they want you to help them to accomplish their agenda for your children. And that's not always a bad thing, but you understand what I'm saying, they have their own agenda for your family. Uh, there's just the natural way of life agenda. People born with the sin nature, what do they want out of the family? Whatever they want, right? I want this family to do what I want, I'll stick with this family as long as it works for me. When it doesn't work for me, I'm out of here. Um, your extended family has an agenda for your family. They want everybody just to be happy with each other and get along, right? And, and we don't want any problems that begin to you know, divide because we want to be able to all get together. We don't want anybody to become a burden. No, no addictions, please. And you know, there's that agenda. And let's just don't talk about this or don't bring that up. That kind of an agenda. Uh, children have an agenda for the family, right? They want the family to be about them and fun and let's do what I want to do. And that's, parents have an agenda for their families too. That agenda isn't always conscious in their mind, but they do have an agenda, something that parents you know, think is important and how they're trying to raise their kids. Oftentimes that comes from the way they were raised. Either, you know, I, we, boy, isn't that scary? Have you ever seen yourself all of a sudden do something and say, that was my dad? <laughs> sometimes that's good. Other times it's not so good. Uh, and you know, sometimes we say, well, I'm never gonna be like this, whatever, but so we, we have an agenda here. There are all these competing agendas for the family, not to mention all of the forces in society which also have an agenda for your family. And so the question comes is, whose agenda should shape the family? Of all these competing agenda, whose agenda should shape the family? Well, who created the family? Who designed the family? God did. And so here's the deal, it should be God's agenda in your family. That's what the agenda should be. That sounds like a nice church answer. We're gonna dig down into that. But yes, it should be God's agenda. And so here's what I want you to, to really get a hold of today and something that, not just for your family, but for all of life, but we're gonna focus in on family. And this, that's this, make sure your agenda matches God's agenda. Make sure your agenda matches God's agenda. And that means that you're going to have to, on some sort of regular basis, reevaluate your agenda and readjust it as needed from time to time. You're, you're probably never gonna get it perfect and I got it perfect the rest of my life. No, you gotta keep looking at it. You gotta keep working on it. Now, so we're talking about you know, God's agenda. Um, 
God is, in his word has given us the most accurate and most sufficient instruction regarding families and how families are supposed to function so that they won't be dysfunctional. God has given us this guidance. And we need to understand that every problem that we have in our families where there's a relationship issue or an authority issue and a struggle and things aren't going well and you know, maybe it gets hurtful, all of that stuff is always the result of one or more persons setting aside what God has said and doing their own thing or what seems right to them. Okay, that's where the problems always come from. The problems never arise when everybody in the family is saying, okay, what does God say? And how do we do this? Now, that doesn't mean there aren't any problems, but I tell you what, I guarantee you, whether you, you have, uh, I think Dave, you'd agree with this. If we have a couple come to us who are having marriage problems and they walk in and say, man, we are struggling here. We don't know how to deal with this, but we both want to honor God here. I want to be a faithful husband. I want to be a faithful wife and help us with that. Oh, do you know how easy that is? It's easy because you can just work with them because they're what? They've said God's way. Same thing with parents and children. When they all come in, it's easy. It's when they come in and that isn't the way it's going. You know, they have their own agendas. And that gets really tangled up and hard to un unwind sometimes. And so every problem that we experience in the family is a result of us setting aside what God has said. Now, I told you, I put that up there that you need to, to reevaluate and, and then readjust as needed regularly. Let me, because here's what I want you to think today. It is possible that you think today that you have a biblical understanding of the family and be wrong. It is quite possible. Think about this. The disciples, James and John, they were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, two brothers. They'd been kind of interesting guys to hang around with probably, right? But the Sons of Thunder, and, and here they're traveling with Jesus, and Jesus is coming from Galilee, from the north down south toward Jerusalem, and he's going through Samaria. And as he comes through Samaria, you remember Samaritans didn't like the Jews, and the Jews didn't like the Samaritans, and they said, wait a minute, you're a Jewish man, you're headed for Jerusalem? Sorry, you aren't welcome in our town. Yeah, I don't know if Jesus wanted to come in and spend the night or get something, but they would not allow him into town. And so James and John get all worked up over this. They say, wait a minute, you're the Messiah. You're the promised one. Who are these people? And he said, ask Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and you know, roast these guys? And Jesus says, what are you talking about? You don't understand what spirit you are of. I did not come to destroy, but to save. But James and John had an agenda that they believed was biblical, but they were wrong. Peter, the same thing. Jesus saying, hey, I'm gonna go up to Jerusalem and I'm, I'm gonna, you know, the leader's gonna take me into custody and I'm going to die. And, and Peter pulls him aside and says, no, 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 Lord, we're not doing that. We will not allow you to, to that to happen to you. We are gonna stop you because you know why? Well, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. He already said that. Peter already proclaimed that. And, and so he had this biblical basis of why this can't happen. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. Peter, you're taking the wrong role here. This is serious business. But Peter had an agenda that he thought was based on Bible 
but he was wrong. The Apostle Paul committed to the Word of God, to every detail of the Word of God, and and trying to live by it and help others to live by it, and then along come these Christians, and they, you know, this cannot be what they're saying, cannot be right because of the Bible this and the Bible that, and so he said, man, we gotta throw these guys in jail, we gotta uh, maybe have them killed, we gotta stop this. Of course, we know he was, what? Wrong. Of course, by God's grace, he got saved and changed. But you see that? He had an agenda that he believed was based on the scripture, but he was wrong. The Pharisees, like Paul, who, got, who became Christians, became followers of Christ, and then told everybody, well, now to, you know, to the Gentiles, hey, you've got to start following the Jewish law. You've got to get circumcised. You've got to start following the, the rules and, and become a Jew. And did they have a biblical basis in their mind for this? They absolutely did, right? Because here's what God says. They had an agenda, they believed it was based on the Bible, but they were wrong. So here's why I'm telling you this, because I know how this goes, I know how it goes for myself, and I know how it goes for for you. We come to an issue like family, and if you've been around for any length of time, you've heard preaching about family, you've heard teaching about family, you've talked to the Christians about family, and so when I stand up here and I start talking to you about this, about the family, or God says that, you go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, right, I agree with that. And, and you, you have this idea, but what I want you to see is that, wait a minute, you could be wrong. And so what I want you to do is, as we look at family, I want you to say, okay, God, I'm gonna pay attention here. I wanna hear and understand what you really say because if we aren't getting it, I wanna get it. You know, I don't wanna be bumping along thinking I got it right when I don't. And you may have it right. Praise the Lord if you do, okay? I'm I'm not assuming that you don't. I just know, like I said, we as Christians, so easy for us to go, oh yeah, 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 I know that. And I don't want you to do that. I want you to open up your heart and mind to the Lord to make sure that your agenda matches God's agenda and that you're willing to reevaluate and readjust as needed. So, the family, God should set the agenda for the family. What is that agenda? What is it? Well, let's go to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture, uh, but it's not normally what you, we would be looking at when we are talking about family but I think we should be. Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be one underneath the chairs there in front of you, and we're gonna be on page 1,150. I encourage you to follow along with us. Again, that's page 1,150. Matthew 28. Jesus has already died. He has already risen from the dead, and he's appeared to his disciples over a 40-day period, and he's getting ready to leave, and he, he, he calls them together one last time, and he, in essence, summarizes, gives them this big picture instruction. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, let's just stop a minute. How much authority? all authority in both heaven and on earth. So if Jesus speaks about something and says this is what needs to happen or this is the way things ought to be, 
He can rightfully do that, can't he? And that's what we should do then, because he has all authority. So when he speaks about something, he speaks with God's authority. All right, so he continues, he says, okay, so he said this, I have all authority in heaven and earth, now here's what I want you to do. He's speaking to them with God's authority. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So let's just walk our way through this just a little bit. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? A disciple, very simply put, is a follower of Christ, someone who really follows Christ. Okay? This morning, a disciple, a true disciple, a faithful disciple gets up this morning and says, I'm following Christ today. And what does that mean? And this afternoon and tonight and tomorrow and the next day. Okay, so we want to go on the world and work in such a way that people become followers of Christ, faithful followers of Christ. And by the way, that just doesn't happen in one step, does it? It's a process. And we see the process here because he says, make disciples, then baptize them. Baptism indicates that there has been a conversion, that these people have come to from where they were not having a relationship with God into having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We talk about receiving Christ as Savior. Baptism is an indication that that has happened because in baptism they are proclaiming publicly to everybody that I have received Christ as my Savior. I am now a follower of Christ. And if they continue talking, they'd probably say, and I don't have much of a clue about what that means from here on. And that's the rest of this, what Jesus says. So you bring them into a saving relationship with Christ, settle that issue, and then he says you teach them to observe, which means to know, understand, and live by everything else I've commanded you. Hmm. That's a bunch of stuff, isn't it? Let's look at the words here again. Teaching them to observe, to, like I said, to know, understand, live by all things that I have commanded you. Well, what has he commanded us? Well, we can start and understand what he commanded us to love God. He commanded us to love each other. He commanded us to love each other like he loves us. We can go through all that, but then we, we can live all his teachings in here. But Jesus is God, Right? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. I don't understand it all. I believe it because God has revealed it. But what do we call this? This is whose word? God's word. So when Jesus says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, I, the Son of God, have commanded you, it certainly includes the New Testament, but it includes really the whole book, the whole Bible. Everything. How many things does God talk about in the Bible? Anybody know the answer? I've never made a list. I don't know. But he says that we need to learn it all and live by it all, which is a lifelong process. I get that. Does all include the family? Yeah, it does. And what I want to say to you today is it's, it's a little bit of a different 
understanding, but I'm, I'm convinced from Scripture that it is absolutely true. You know, what is God's agenda for your family then? God's agenda for your family is that you make disciples. Oh, wait a minute, that's church stuff, right? That's religious stuff. I get that. We're supposed to make disciples. We're supposed to preach the gospel. We're supposed to teach people. But I'm saying to you that this is what your family is supposed to be doing, what your family is to be about. I'm going I'm to demonstrate this to you. I'm going to show you. Let's work our way through some scriptures, just scriptures that we're probably a lot of you have heard related to family. I want to show you this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God says when marriage occurs in the sight of God, they become what? One. And this is not just a physical union. This is a soul-level oneness. So he has made us one in our souls. Now, we don't always experience it, but he's made us one. And so what does that affect? How much of your life does that oneness relationship affect? It affects it all. And you can fight against that or not, but it affects it all. And so what I want you to see is that this oneness of relationship is, cannot be separated from your relationship with God. And so your relationship with your spouse in this foundational relationship of family, your relationship with your spouse is a spiritual thing. And that means it is a discipleship thing. It's about how do we follow Christ in this? Ephesians chapter 5 gives instructions to, to wives and to husbands. It says, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And so he says here to the wife, hey, listen, you need to model day in and day out for your husband how he is supposed to submit to the Lord. Your submission to him is teaching him how your husband, how he's supposed to submit to God. Be your children watching too. And he's saying to the husband, hey, you are to, to love your wife the way Christ loves the church so that she can understand. Here's how God loves you. And so the children can watch and say, wow, this is how God loves us. You see, this is not just about husband and wife and how they get along. This is about an eternal spiritual purpose for that marriage. That's discipleship stuff. Are you, you with me on this? You getting it? Peter gives counsel to the wives. He says, wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of the wives. And he's saying here to the wife that, listen, how you live in relationship to your husband, if he doesn't know the Lord, okay, he has not become a follower of Christ, how you live is going to affect him and can actually help to bring him to Christ. Or maybe he already knows Christ, but he's just really not surrendered, not living it. How you live with him can help him to come along and obey the Lord. Wow, he has just put into your responsibility, wives, this ability and opportunity to affect your husband's spiritual relationship and how he lives his life. That's discipleship stuff. 
A few verses later, he talks to the husbands, and he says, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Heirs together of the grace of life. This is, that means that together, somehow or other, we as husbands and wives, we share not only our relationship with each other, but our relationship with God is also a shared thing, and it's going to affect our prayer life. Wow, this is discipleship stuff, isn't it? In 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, So an elder, talking about a pastor in the church, a leader in the church, so an elder must be faithful to his wife and manage his own family well. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? And what he's saying here, what we're seeing is that this whole family relationship, a man's relationship with his wife and with his children in this household is preparing him as he learns to lead here and, and to love and to serve and, and with wisdom. As he grows and learns here, it prepares him and qualifies him to take a leadership role in the church. Wow, so we're training people to even become leaders in the family? This is discipleship stuff. And then another purpose here, Malachi chapter two says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit you are his, and, and what does he want? Godly children from your union, so guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. And so he's saying here, in your marriage relationship, the condition of your marriage relationship affects your children's ability to grow into godly individuals. And so, that, isn't that what discipleship is about? Growing people into godly individuals? See, this is a discipleship thing. So let's, let's move now to children. The actual children. Ephesians chapter 6, you've heard this verse, the instruction to parents is to bring them up, your children. Bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Notice that your children would know the Lord, that they would love the Lord, that they would serve the Lord. We're teaching them to become what? Faithful followers of Christ, to become disciples. See, this is discipleship stuff. Back in Deuteronomy, it says, and these words which I command you today, shall be in your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children. God says the things that I have told you, you need to teach your children so they understand them, so they can live by them. By the way, they can live by them the way you do. But you're teaching your children to become faithful followers of Christ. This is discipleship stuff. And then instruction to the children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord that it may be well with you. So God's telling children, here's what I want you to do. I want you to obey your parents, and when you obey your parents, I will work in your life. I will bless you. It will go well with you. They're learning about how to relate to God and how God works by obeying their parents. This is discipleship stuff. Now, I've moved into this realm. It's also something for grandparents here. Psalm 71, David talks about, he says, now also when I am old and gray-headed, and I think someplace in the Hebrew it says bald-headed, okay? <laughs> now also when I am gray-headed, I declare your strength, God, to this generation and your power to everyone who is to come. As grandparents, we have in the family this generational 
understanding and a generational ministry to help not just my children and their children, but even my grandchildren as they then raise their grandchildren. I can influence that. That people would honor God and know him and know what he's like. And this is discipleship stuff, isn't it? See, that's God's agenda for us, our families, that we make disciples. And so then, here we as a family, we're working on becoming disciples ourselves, and, and we're working on uh, with each other and, and helping each other to become uh, faithful followers of Christ, disciples. And that gives us a whole household now that can be involved in this making of disciples. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, we are ambassadors for Christ. I think we all understand what an ambassador is. An ambassador is somebody who, who we send off from our country to another country. And in that foreign country, they represent our country. They speak for our country. They, you know, they can negotiate for our whatever. They, but they interact as our country's representatives. Well, he says that's what we are in this world. That in this world, which is foreign territory in a sense, because we are citizens of heaven now. And here we are representatives of Christ to the world around us. Now, where does the ambassador live? What do we call the place the ambassador lives? The embassy, that's right. And so when we catch this idea that our family is about making disciples, we start to realize, hey, we're ambassadors for Christ and that makes our home an embassy of the kingdom. An embassy of which we can take and use to serve God and to represent him in our world, us together as a family. And we see this happening with, uh, in, in Corinth. Paul writes about, um, in 1 Corinthians 16, about a man named Stephanus. He says, you know that Stephanus and his household are spending their lives in service to God's people. Submit to them and others like them who serve with such devotion. Stephanacy was using his household as an embassy to go out and serve God with, devoted to it. And see, our families can do this and be this way. And, and, and it's not just in the church. It could be our neighbors. It could be in our community. Uh, it can even be with missionaries around the world, praying for them, figuring out how can we maybe scratch together a little more money to help support them and, and being involved with missionaries, even to the point of opening up your home to them if they need a place to stay. Paul talks to his good friend Philemon. Paul says, I'm coming for a visit. And he says this, Prepare a guest room for me. And if the Lord gives you opportunity, I mean, can you imagine the impact it have on your children if you still have children at home? If you don't, it's easy to open up a guest room. But if you still have children at home, you say, hey, you two, you know what? You guys are gonna have to go here and sleep in this room because we got a missionary coming. He's gonna stay in your room. And they sit and talk to that missionary and listen to that missionary and his experiences with God. And oh, man. Make sure your agenda matches God's agenda. Reevaluate and readjust regularly. I'm asking you to do that even during this sermon series. I want all of us to squirm at some point about what we're doing or not doing. Um, and his agenda is that we make disciples. And it shouldn't surprise us 
Because scripture says in, in Paul's letter to Colossians, he said that in all things he, Christ, may have the preeminence. Does all things include your family? That means your family should be about the Lord. Your family should be about him and what he wants to do in your lives and through your lives. It should be about him. That means Jesus is Lord of your family. Can you say with me? Yes, Jesus is Lord of my family. If you mean that, say it with me right now, would you? Jesus is Lord of my family. Now you may or may not be living that way yet, but Jesus is Lord of my family. And then here's the challenge to us from the words, the mouth of Jesus himself. He says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? And so if your family isn't about making disciples right now, you're gonna say, wait a minute, Jesus, Lord, we gotta be, become about making disciples. How do we do that? Well, we're gonna talk about this as we go through this sermon series. Um, and to whatever extent you're already doing it, praise the Lord. You'll never regret any choices you've made to do things God's way. But let's really open ourselves up. God, do something in our lives, in our family, for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that you really speak pretty plainly to us about these things, Father. And I know we, know we don't normally put discipling, making followers of Christ in out of our families, Father, but it seems so clear to me from your word that they, those two things overlap, they go together. So I pray, Father, that you would help us to see that, see what the mission is that you've given us that we might follow it and honor and glorify you. And we know that we'll be blessed when we do, but more, most importantly, we want to honor you and glorify you with the families that you've entrusted to us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.